You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by MyBookie. And if you sign up today for a brand new MyBookie account and use the promo code UGA, MyBookie will double your initial deposit. It's not a 25% sign-up bonus. It's not a 50% sign-up bonus. It's a straight-up 100% sign-up bonus, and all you have to do is use the promo code UGA. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and today I've got a deep dive preview of Georgia's SEC opener against the South Carolina Gamecocks set for a noon kickoff in the blistering heat of Columbia, South Carolina. Actually, the uh, the forecast says it's only going to be about 83 degrees as a high, but if you've ever been to Columbia and been to a Georgia game in Williams-Brice Stadium... They may say it's only 83 degrees. It's going to feel like it's 117 degrees in that stadium. That's just how it's always been every single time I've been there. And I've been there, God, now probably over 10 times at this point. But the SEC opener is indeed set for Saturday. And I am here to preview everything for you guys. And thinking about how I wanted to do these preview episodes this year, I got a lot of positive feedback on the countdown format that we used last year. So, I'm just going to keep rolling with that this year. We try to bring you guys the content that you want, the content that you like, and uh, if you like it, then we're going to keep rolling with it. So I know for week one, yes, I did set up an interview with an Oregon beat writer, and that went well, and and if you guys really enjoy those interviews, if you like that kind of thing and you want that to lead off these preview episodes, I am certainly open to continuing with them, and I know I told you guys that we were going to do one for every week, but after that first interview... Which again, it went well. It wasn't like it was a bad interview or anything. I thought actually we got some good information there. But I just, I kind of backed off on that. But again, if you guys want that, if that's something you're interested in, let us know. Hit us up on social media. Find us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. Podcast on Instagram. So let us know. Don't be a stranger. But the reality is I just never been a fan of those kind of interviews myself. That's why we don't have a ton of guests on this show. I just don't think that you get a ton of good information, like hardcore in-depth information from a lot of the guests out there, especially when it comes to beat writers. I really don't even like when radio shows or podcasts have coaches on. Actually, I hate when they have coaches on because I don't think you get any information from a coach interview. It's all coach speak. They're all guarded. They're not going to give you anything. I think it's a waste of time, honestly, to listen to those. I really don't find it interesting at all. So when we are talking about our own podcast, I just don't really like that kind of thing personally. But if you do, we can try to make that happen. But with beat writers and whatnot, like you usually end up getting just a bunch of regurgitated talking points, which is fine. Like There's a place for that, I guess. You get a lot of names, things like that. And yeah, that content has its place. But you guys know what we're trying to go for on this show. Like That's not exactly what we're going for on these episodes. We want to go deeper than that. So I just want to put that out there. I felt like I need to explain myself after telling you guys going into the Oregon game that we were going to have a guest on every week to preview these games. I kind of just rethought that. And if I rethought it wrong and you guys want that, let me know. And we can make it happen. I want the, to produce content that you guys want. I just don't know if that's going to give us the kind of in-depth look at each game that I really am trying to go for here on these episodes. 
So we're going to continue with the countdown format, as I said, and for our newer listeners who might not have ever listened to one of these preview episodes, and I guess also for returning listeners who might just need a refresher, it has been, what, eight or nine months, with this countdown format, I'm simply going to count down five, four, three, two, one, and along the way, give you different aspects of the game. So I'm going to start with five players you need to know, four stats that matter in the matchup, three matchups to watch, two game plans. I'll give you an offensive and defensive game plan for George on how I would attack the opponent. I'm not the coach. I'm the novice. I'm the amateur, but I'll at least give you my thoughts on how I would go about attacking our opponent and designing a game plan to beat them. And then we'll wrap things up with one key to the game. So when I say countdown format, that's what I'm talking about. But let's go ahead, guys. Let's jump right in here and let's start with five players to know. Obviously, there are more than five players on this South Carolina Gamecock football team, but we do not have time to go up and down the entire roster and give you every single player. As we go through today's episode, we'll mention more players. I'll talk about different guys, but there are five names I think you need to know above all others on this South Carolina Gamecock football team. And we're going to start the quarterback position. It's not that I think Spencer Rattler is the best player in the team. That's not why we're going with him first. It's just simply that the quarterback position is the most important position on the field and it gets the most coverage and the most talk, all those things. And there was a lot of offseason talk about Spencer Rattler. So let's open there. You guys know he is the former five-star transfer from Oklahoma, lost his job to Caleb Williams, who's now transferred himself over to USC along with Lincoln Riley. And Spencer Rattler left town after getting beaten out and he is now back reunited with Shane Beamer in Columbia, South Carolina. It's very interesting. You know, all offseason long, we heard South Carolina fans just beating their chest about how good Spencer Rattler was, how he was going to be a game changer. They finally got their former five star. He was going to be the guy that's going to lead them to the promised land and become a true contender in the SEC East. You know, Spencer Rattler and a lot of the South Carolina fans, they wanted you to believe all offseason that it was Lincoln Riley, you know, one of the foremost offensive minds in all college football, mind you, that he was the problem. He was the problem with Spencer Rattler. It wasn't Spencer himself. But through two games so far this season in Carolina, it's pretty clear who the problem was. And I know it's a small sample size, but I think we've seen a fair amount of of what Spencer Rattler really is. And if you look at Oklahoma's numbers, or Spencer Rattler's numbers at Oklahoma, he was a 71% completion percentage guy, 8.8 yards per attempt, three touchdowns to one interception ratio. Pretty solid numbers. Not good enough to keep his job, but pretty solid nonetheless. Fast forward to South Carolina this year through two games, his completion percentage is down to 61.8%. His yards per attempt down to 7.9, almost a full yard less than yards per attempt. And he's got two touchdowns to three interceptions. So maybe, just maybe, it wasn't one of the best offensive minds in college football who was the problem last year and the year before. Maybe, just maybe, it was Spencer Rattler himself. And the reality is through two games, he has been very inefficient for South Carolina. He has had his moments. He's hit some big plays in the passing game. But throughout the first two games against Georgia State and Arkansas on the road last week, he's been a very inefficient quarterback, which is what was starting to plague him in the latter portion of his Oklahoma career right before he lost that job to Caleb Williams. He is somewhat mobile. He's not a statue back there. He's not a guy that you're going to really do any kind of design QB run stuff with him. But he can escape pressure a little bit. He can move the pocket some. He's somewhat mobile. But he does not handle pressure well at all. I'll get to that a little bit later on in more detail. But he does not handle pressure well, especially in his face. Mechanics fall apart. He kind of panics. And that's when he'll start to force balls. And trust me, he will force balls. So put them into dangerous situations. Now, he does throw a pretty good deep ball when given time. Like When he has a clean pocket and he can deliver the football on time, he can do it accurately. And he can put the ball out there. He's got a good arm. And he's hit some explosive plays in the past game this year. And I will at least give him this. He is better than anyone they had at the quarterback position last year. He is undoubtedly an upgrade over the litany of guys they ran out there last year, including a graduate assistant in Zeb Nolan. They basically just grabbed off the practice field and thrust him into the starting quarterback job. He's better than any of those guys. So it is an upgrade the quarterback position. It's just not the level of upgrade that South Carolina fans were hoping for and the national media wanted a lot of you out there to believe it was going to be, at least not yet, through two games. So he's the first player on the list here. Coming in at number two, second player here to know is tight end slash running back now, apparently, Jaheim Bell. And South Carolina fans, those of you who partake in social media, you know that the South Carolina fans, South Carolina Twitter, spent all offseason 
pumping up Jaheim Bell as not only one of the best tight ends in college football, but a tight end who was superior to our very own Brock Bowers last year. Of course, we know that was insane. That's crazy. But he was good last year. I'm not going to say he was not good. He was a really good player for them on a bad South Carolina football team. He had 30 catches for just under 500 yards last year. Those are good numbers on that team, especially when you consider who he had throwing to him at the quarterback position. He is an athletic guy. That's why they use him at running back some now. But he's a guy that hasn't become like a pure receiver at that position. He's very talented, very explosive at that position. He he hit a couple of big plays last year in the bowl game against North Carolina. He has some explosive plays. And they again, they are using him in different ways this year. They're actually using him as a legitimate running back, not as like a, a tight end reverse kind of thing or an end around or a jet sweep kind of thing. They are lining him up in the backfield at times and actually handing him the football. But he hasn't been altogether productive. He's been fine. Like He can do that. He's athletic enough to do that. He's not as athletic as your typical running back, but he's athletic enough. And you, when you have different personnel on the field, you can do different things with him. You can keep the defense honest. So I see what they're trying to do there. But so far through the year, he has 11 carries for 44 yards on the ground. Four yards to carry. Solid. Good. You know, fine. Whatever. But he really hasn't seen much, much action as a pass catcher from that tight end position. He only has four catches for 18 yards through two games. Yes, of course, we're still early in the season. It's obviously a small sample size. You'll probably hear me say that a lot throughout this episode, but it is the sample size that we have to operate off right now. So is it an overreaction to say he hasn't had that kind of an impact as a receiver at this point? Maybe, but that's all that we can operate off of right now. But he is still certainly on my list of five players to know because he is still a threat in my mind. He's a highly athletic player. He can hurt you in the ground game a little bit, I guess, maybe. And he can certainly be a guy that can make plays, explosive plays down the field as a tight end. We saw that from him last year, and you have to believe it's only a matter of time until he kind of gets his feet under him this season as a pass catcher. Speaking of pass catchers, the third guy on my list of players to know, he might actually be the number one player to watch for, like in, in terms of like building a game plan, like especially defensively, who are you watching for in this South Carolina football team? It might be Antoine Juice Wells. This guy has come out swinging this season at the wide receiver position. In fact, right now, through two games, he is currently leading the SEC in receiving, and that's both receptions and yards. He's got 15 catches for 244 yards on the season through two games. He's a, he's not the biggest guy in the world, 6'1", 207, but he has been a big play threat. He's, he's shown that big play potential, not just in the plays that he made. I think he's, he had a 62-yard touchdown catch against Arkansas last week, but he, there's been some plays where he was open down the field and they should have been touchdowns and Rattler just couldn't connect with him or he was getting pressured. He had to throw the ball away. This guy has come out with some explosiveness to start this 2022 football season. I thought it was going to be Josh Van. In fact, most people thought it was going to be Josh Van this year. Anyone who actually watched South Carolina play last year thought it would be Josh Van because he was their leading returning receiver. But Josh Van has essentially been a no-show this year for the Gamecocks. I watched the entire South Carolina game. I don't think he even played in that game. He's got one catch for nine yards on the season. And the word coming out of Columbia is that he is... um, not happy with the situation. So I don't know exactly what's going on there. This guy was their leading receiver last year and he has just not even been in the game plan. He didn't, I'm fairly confident he did not play at all against Arkansas last week and it wasn't an injury type situation. He just wasn't a part of the game plan. But Juice Wells is a guy that defensively we are going to have to be aware of every single snap because he's the guy they want to get the football to. He's been their most explosive, the most productive player really on the entire offense. So we've got to know where he is first and foremost every single snap on Saturday. And for the last two players, no, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Let's go with Cam Smith here. Cam Smith, if you're not familiar with the name, he is currently projected by most of the draft guys at, at ESPN as the first cornerback off the board in this next NFL draft. Now, there's a lot of time between now and the next draft, and that could change, but right now, they have him as a first-round guy. In fact, the number one cornerback on the board right now. And he's a a good player. He is. He's long. He's a fluid athlete. He got hurt early-ish in the Arkansas game and missed the rest of that game. He's technically listed as questionable on the injury report right now, but, I mean, with college injury reports, like, Take it with a grain of salt, man. I wouldn't believe anything on a college injury report because there's no punishment if you're being misleading or deceptive. So I think he's going to play. I mean, based on Shane Beamer's comments after the game on Saturday and so far this week, it seems like Cam Smith is going to play. I would count on him playing. Now, will he be 100%? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I would count on him playing right now. And when he's out there, he is a really, really good football player. He's got what it takes to be 
as close to a shutdown corner as you can be. He can be that kind of guy with his length, his fluidity, his ball skills. So he's certainly a name to know on this South Carolina defense. And then sticking with the defense for our last player to know, Let's go with Jordan Birch, former five-star, in fact, former top 10 player overall in the 2020 recruiting class. Those of you who follow recruiting closely, which I know is most of you out there because you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't one of those guys that love Georgia football so much that you follow every single recruit and every single cycle, but you probably remember that name, right? Big time player. And we were heavily involved with him. He ultimately elects to stay close to home in South Carolina and goes to goes to play with the Gamecocks. And he, um, he's been good. He hasn't been a dominant player to this point, and I don't know if he's a dominant player right now, but I do think he has been the best defender on this South Carolina defense through the first two weeks. I can at least say that. I think he does have the potential to be an elite player. He's certainly kind of rounding into that form. He's six foot five, 275. He's an edge player. Uh, I think he's at his best rushing the passer right now. And the guy who was going to be their primary dominant pass rush, at least they were hoping he would be that guy coming into the season, a guy named Jordan Strachan, who was actually a transfer transfer from Georgia State coming into last season, and a solid year for them last year. He is out with an ACL tear. He tore his ACL in the, in the Arkansas game. That's really unfortunate for him, and I hope he gets better, but he is out. So that is going to put a lot more pass rush responsibility on Jordan Birch, and I have to be honest with you guys. I thought he looked really good rushing the passer and disrupting what they were trying to do offensively on Saturday against Arkansas. Obviously not well enough. Arkansas was still able to put up over 40 points, but it wasn't Jordan Birch's fault. Jordan Birch was definitely doing his job. So he's a guy, another guy that we have to be aware of where he is. It's like, you know, Cam Smith, they're not going to move Cam Smith around that much. Like he plays position, he plays. Jordan Birch, he's an edge player, but they can move him around a little bit. They can move from, from him from side to side. They can move him inside and, you know, in passing situations where they want to get him matched up on a guard. So he's a guy that we have to be aware of and we certainly have to game plan for going into this matchup. All right, guys, we are just getting started with this breakdown of the Georgia-South Carolina game this weekend. But before we go any further, I want to remind you guys about my bookie. Reviews are coming in. We've gotten a lot of great feedback from listeners out there who have told us that they have signed up for my bookie account. They are loving my bookie. They use the UGA promo and they've got their 100% deposit bonus and they are out there already winning some money using the picks that Charlie and I are giving you guys at the end of the week. So before we get too far into the season, you lose your opportunity to win some money, go ahead right now. Press pause right now. Go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a new account, use the promo code UGA, and get your initial deposit doubled. And then listen to tomorrow's episode, put some bets in, and have yourselves a weekend. Again, all you have to do is sign up for a new account, use the promo code UGA when prompted to, and deposit some money. And whatever money you deposit, they will instantly double that cash for you guys to bet on and have a lot of fun this college football season. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, let's keep this thing rolling and let's go to four stats that matter. Now guys, stats can be misleading, but stats can also be 
very revealing. They can be very insightful. And what I try to do on these preview episodes is I try to sift through all the different numbers out there, the advanced metrics, the basic metrics, and I try to find you statistics that actually matter, that will give you some insight into who is going to win this football game, some insight into how we match up with our opponent and what we need to do to stop them. But let's start here with the South Carolina rushing numbers. And we're going to do both offense and defense. So the first step that matters here is that South Carolina, through two games, is currently allowing 247.5 yards rushing per game. And that is with playing a group of five team in Georgia State. And hey, look, the Sun Belt has had a hell of a start this season, but South Carolina should not be giving up 200 plus yards rushing to Georgia State. It simply should not be happening. And by the way, that 247.5 yards rushing allowed per game, that is dead freaking last in the SEC. They are also dead last in yards per rush allowed, 4.71. So it's not one of these situations where it's like, okay, yeah, well, maybe they played like a a service academy that just runs the football, runs the football, runs the football every single down, so it's kind of skewed. No, they are dead last in total yards allowed against the run, and they're also dead last in efficiency, giving up 4.71 yards per rush. Any way you slice it, South Carolina's defense has been absolutely dreadful against the run. So if you think about that, this really sets up as a game for us to get right on the ground. I know that there's a lot of you out there that are concerned about our ability to impose our will in the run game, run between the tackles, all of that kind of stuff. That is evidenced by all the questions that we've gotten to that effect over the past two weeks. And this might very well be the game where you guys get your wish and you get to breathe a deep sigh of relief because South Carolina has shown no ability whatsoever to even put up a fight against the run. Now, I, I will say Arkansas, like they run the football well. That's what they do. And they gave up 300 yards rushing to Arkansas. So there's that. But again, there's also a matchup with Georgia State thrown there as well. And they gave up 200 yards rushing to Georgia State. And we haven't been as bad running the football as some people out there have convinced themselves that we had been through through the first two games. We just haven't been as dominant as we were last year. I don't know if we were dominant in the run game last year. We just haven't been as good, as efficient. We averaged 5.25 yards per rush last year. Right now, we're ninth in the SEC, averaging 4.54. I would certainly agree with you and say we need to get that number up, but that's kind of in line with where we were in 2020. We're just slightly above that last year. So it's not like we've completely fallen off the face of the earth in the run game. And I think that what we've kind of lost in the run game, we've certainly compensated for in the past game. But I'm with a lot of you. I would like to see us get our ground game on track here and and have a game where we can just kind of impose our will physically on a team. And if that team exists in the SEC this season, it might very well be the Gamecocks. But let's stick with the rushing theme here for our second stat that matters. But let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. So they have been absolutely dreadful trying to stop the run, and they have been about equally as dreadful trying to actually run the football themselves offensively. Because right now, through two games, they are only rushing for 59.5 yards a game, Once again, dead last in the SEC. So we have a situation here where a team in the SEC is not only dead last in rush defense, they are also dead last in rush offense. All of you out there have watched a lot of SEC football over the years. We've made a living off this, right? We love this stuff. We live for it. We've watched a ton of it. And there's one hard and fast truism in the SEC is you got to be able to, number one, stop the run. Number two, run the football. It's a physical man's line of scrimmage league. That's what the SEC has been. That's still at the core of the league. That's what it is. Now, some teams open things up, throw the football, sure, but you've got to be able to stop the run and you need to be able to run the football when you need to run the football. And South Carolina has not been able to do either one of those so badly, in fact, that they are dead last in the league in both categories. Now, I'll give them this. They are not dead last in yards per rush offensively. No, they're only 13th. They are under, though, two yards per rush, guys. Under two yards per rush right now. That is what this South Carolina offense is averaging. So I told you guys one of the concerns I still have about our defense or one of the questions I need to see answered. I don't know if it's fair to call it a concern. Maybe it's just a question because we haven't seen it. And we lost some big-time players that helped us against the run a lot in the past couple years. But I want to see us be able to actually stop a rushing attack when a team tries to line it up and run it down our throat. I hope that we can do that. I think that we probably can. I just still have some questions there. However, this South Carolina team, I just do not believe they are that team that is going to challenge us on the ground. I mean, again, I go back. Jaheim Bell, really good athlete. He can function as a running back. But they are in a situation right now where they are using a tight end at times 
as a running back, not as a guy getting the ball on fly sweeps, as a guy that's lining up next to the quarterback as a running back. That should tell you where they are in the ground game right now. Marshawn Lloyd, I still think is a really good talent at running back. He's their top guy back there. He's a guy actually a couple years ago in recruiting that I wanted us to land myself. He ultimately ends up going to South Carolina and we went another direction, but he's a really good player. But the production just simply has not been there for anyone in that South Carolina offense when it comes to running the football. And the next stat that matters here on my list is a turnover margin number. Now this, I almost didn't go with this because it is so early in the season and it's a small sample size, but that's the truth with every single statistic at this point. So I went with it anyway. Currently, through two games, South Carolina is 121st nationally in turnover margin with a minus four number. They have turned the ball over five times in two games and only forced one turnover themselves. And this is not just some random number I pulled out. There's a lot of stats I could have gone with. I chose this as one of my four because when you're talking about a team like South Carolina who is overmatched with their roster versus our roster, they do not have the players that we have. This is a a 24 and a half point spread right now. They are trying to pull a massive upset that a lot of people were picking them to do in the offseason. I mean, maybe they want that back right now. Knock on wood. We'll see what happens. But for them to pull this kind of upset, for them to pull an upset like they did in 2019 in Athens, which I don't even like talking about, for them to do something like that, we have to beat ourselves and they have to be able to take advantage of that. One of the things they would have to be able to do or that would really help them in their efforts to pull off this shocking upset against the number one team in the country is force us into an abundance of turnovers. Well, South Carolina has not been able to do that. They have not been forcing turnovers and they also will not be able to turn the ball over themselves. If they're going to win this football game, if they're going to even stay in this game, they're going to have to force us into quite a few turnovers and capitalize on those turnovers and they're going to have to protect the football at all costs themselves. No turnovers. That simply has not been this team through two games. Five turnovers, one forced turnover. And if that trend continues in this game, then this one's probably going to get out of hand pretty quickly. Now, if they can reverse course and start to protect the football and maybe force some turnovers, things might get closer than they should be. But through two games, that's just not been what this South Carolina team has been doing. And finally, the last stat that matters, I'm going to go with the sack percentages here. I'm actually going to look at both sizes, offensively and defensively. Currently, the Gamecocks are 114th in the country in offensive sack percentage. They are giving up sacks on 10.59% of their dropbacks through two games. So another one of the, the, the concerns, the questions we've gotten heavily over the first two weeks of the season is, are you concerned about the sack numbers? How can we improve our ability to rush the passer? And I, I do think those are fair questions because I think we lost all those guys that produced for us in that regard last year. And I have questions myself about what that's going to look like, who those guys are going to be. I think those are fair questions. Well, maybe just maybe this is the team to get those numbers up against for us to find out who those guys are because they are giving up, I mean, 10% guys giving up a sack, 10% of their dropbacks. That is not going to cut it, guys. That's not good enough. So maybe this is the week where guys like Jordan Davis on the interior, Michael Williams has another big game where he gets a couple of sacks. Should have had two last week, had one, should have had two. Maybe we get our linebackers more involved in the pass rush game. Maybe this is the week because this South Carolina offense, especially the offensive line, has not been good. And like, look, I'll say Spencer Rattler also takes some really bad sacks himself. Sometimes he doesn't trust what he sees and he holds the ball too long. So yes, a big part of this is the offensive line and they just got flat out beat several times against Arkansas and Arkansas is not a dominant pass rushing team. I mean, Drew Sanders had an absolute field day last week rushing the passer and just disrupting their entire offense against South Carolina last week. I mean, he was just all over the field for Arkansas. And yeah, he was a, a pass rusher coming out of high school, went to Alabama, then transferred out after he got hurt and Dallas Turner kind of took over his job. He's playing like a an inside linebacker ish position but they also use him rushing the passer quite a bit and he was just like almost effortlessly rushing the passer so I think we have some guys that can do that as well we just need them to step up and I hope that this is the game where that happens and then on the flip side this is maybe even more important so what is another ingredient that you put in the recipe for a massive upset like this would be well forcing turnovers is one of them another one is affecting our quarterback, sacking the quarterback, creating turnovers, creating negative yardage plays, putting us behind the chains. That's another key ingredient in creating an upset that South Carolina is going to try to be pulling on Saturday. Well, that might not work out so well for them based off what we've seen through two games, because right now we are number one in the country in sacks allowed. We have given up 
zero sacks, in fact, through two games. I know Samford was, you know, never going to pressure us in that regard, but even against Oregon, zero sacks in that game. And you know, Dan Lanning has great blitz packages. They have great inside linebackers and they were unable to pressure us, unable to get into the backfield and bring Stetson down. They tried a couple times, but Stetson was able to escape and make some plays. Conversely, South Carolina is 88th nationally in defensive sack percentage. And they are also, let me remind you, without one of their best pass rushers the rest of the season. Jordan Strachan out for the rest of the year. He was their top pass rusher coming into the season. He's gone towards ACL last week against Arkansas. So this kind of takes away at least the trends that we've seen. If they carry through through this game with our ability to protect the passer, Stetson's ability to escape the pocket, escape pressure, get the ball out, and their inability to really truly pressure the quarterback, that might take another ingredient to this upset out of the equation for them. But there are your four stats that matter. Let's keep this thing rolling and let's move into three matchups to watch. And the first one, this is the first one that came to mind for me. I think this one is obvious. If you've watched South Carolina play this season, I've watched both games a couple times. The game against Georgia State week one and their game against Arkansas last week. It's very clear to me what the first matchup to watch is. And it is their inside linebackers versus Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield. Let us not forget that Kenny McIntosh still... I know it's only two games, but he still leads our team in receiving. In fact, he is top five in the entire SEC, not just among running backs, among all pass catchers. He's still top five in the SEC in receiving, coming at number four right now. And their inside linebackers are so, so slow. Their top linebacker, Mo Kaba, he also tore his ACL last week. He is out for the season. And he's being replaced by a guy who's played a lot of football for them in the past, Sherrod Green. He missed a lot of last year, most of last year with an injury. And he's been around for a while, but he is now thrust back into the inside linebacker position. And that dude's just like, he's fine between the tackles. He does not have the athleticism to play silent to silent, especially against a team with a guy like Kenny McIntosh, who we're using him all over the field. And then more than anyone, Debo Williams at inside linebacker, number zero. If you watched him play Arkansas, I hope you saw what I saw. Debo Williams was just getting flat out embarrassed on the edges in the in the perimeter pass game, the perimeter run game. That dude, I think he's the slowest inside linebacker that I've ever seen in the SEC. And I, that is not hyperbole, guys. I was watching that game and I was like, can I think of anyone at the top of my head who's played that position who has looked slower on the field than this guy? And when he, he might not be on the field every single down, but when he is on the field, I mean, oh my God. That is the definition of a defensive liability. So I don't see how they match up with Kenny. I don't see how they match up with our perimeter pass game in general. We'll get to that a little bit later. But that's one to watch. I think that's a matchup that we have been able to exploit against both Oregon and Samford. And I expect that to continue to be the case on Saturday against South Carolina in williams Bryce Stadium. And the second matchup to watch here, let's just flip it over to the other side here. I also think that we need to be very careful here with our young, inexperienced linebackers against the South Carolina running backs and tight ends, specifically Marshawn Lloyd as a running back out of the backfield, Jaheim Bell as a running back slash tight end. Watch out for those guys in the pass game. Both guys have the ability to get involved in the pass game and they can be dangerous in the pass game. And I love the athleticism. You guys know you've heard me say this many times. I love the guys that we have at inside linebacker. I love the talent. I love the potential. I love the ceiling. I love the athleticism. I love all of those things. But the fact remains, at this point in the season, they are still incredibly young, and more importantly, they are still incredibly inexperienced, and that does concern me. There were times against Oregon where our inside linebackers, Smile Monin especially, were flat out lost when it came to pass coverage, and that's to be expected. I'm not trying to rip them. They are young. They are inexperienced. You have to learn to make those mistakes and learn and grow from them and hope they just don't cost your team, and so far they have not. And I hope this does not become a game where that ends up happening. But you have to imagine with what they have in the backfield with Lloyd and Bell at times, also at tight end, they are going to try to create matchups in the pass game and man coverage, especially against our young and experienced linebackers and hope that they just blow coverages, make bust, and just don't know what's going on. We've seen at times this year, and they're going to try to exploit that. So our guys better be ready because I know that is coming. And then the final matchup to watch on Saturday is is the Georgia offensive line versus the South Carolina defensive line slash, we'll just say the front seven in general. I'll throw in the inside linebackers there as well. And South Carolina, they just have a lot of injuries in the defensive front seven right now. I mean, Jordan Strait, you mentioned him. He's out for the year. He was the best passer coming into the year. Mo Cobb, the best linebacker coming into the year. He's out with an ACL tear. Alex Huntley uh, missed portions of the Arkansas game. He actually came back in later in that game, but 
I don't know if he's going to be 100%. He's another guy who's listed as questionable. I think he's going to play because he did actually come back in and play against Arkansas late in that game. I expect him to play, but is he going to be 100%? He was probably their best defensive lineman last year. He hasn't been great so far this year. Again, I mean, he missed parts of the second game of the year, so I don't know what to read into that. But there are some injuries. They're kind of banged up up front right now. But I just go back to what I told you guys with the, with the with the rush defense numbers. The bottom line is this Gamecock football team has not been able to stop the run, and they also have not been able to consistently rush the passer. That is a very dangerous recipe for a defense. You can't stop the run. You can't rush the passer. Well, what in the world do you actually do well? Well, the answer is right now, not much. I mean, you go back and watch the Arkansas game. That Arkansas offensive line got consistent movement against that South Carolina front seven and their defensive line in particular. And look, Arkansas has a good offensive line, a very good offensive line, but I think our offensive line is better. So what does that say for South Carolina in this game? I mean, it was just like they were moving them. The the South Carolina front, they could not anchor against that Arkansas offensive line. They could not disengage. Just all around a very, very bad look for the defensive line, the front seven in general, last week against Arkansas. And again, bad look against Georgia State as well. They should not have been able to run for 200 yards on South Carolina, but somehow they did. And I do think that this will be the best offensive line that South Carolina has faced to this point. So if we can get the run game going along with what we have seen to this point from our past game, I, I think we win this football game going away. If it's, it might be a, I don't say it's a big if, but it's still an if, but if that happens, I, I think we should win this game and win it very, very comfortably. And we are not done yet, guys. We'll wrap things up here in a few minutes with our two game plans and our key to the game. But before I get there, I do also want to take a minute to remind you about Alumni Hall. I know a lot of you out there, you love the Nike Georgia shoes that are released each and every year. And the new Pegasus Georgia shoes have dropped. They are at Alumni Hall. Limited supply though, guys. They dropped today on Wednesday. So if you want your pair, they're only selling them in store. So make a trip to Athens if you're not local. Maybe you try your try your luck and wait until next week when you come up here for the Kent State game. But they are currently in stock. They have dropped. They're nice. They're good looking shoes. Nice red. Got the Georgia G on them. The Nike Pegasus is one of Nike's signature running shoes. So get your pair today at Alumni Hall. And hey, while you're at it, go ahead and pick yourself up some more Georgia gear, some game day stuff, some tailgating gear, some gear for your home, gear for your car, because Alumni Hall has everything a Georgia fan could want because it is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, guys, I'm back. Let's wrap this thing up. Let's go to our two game plans. So again, what I'm doing here is I'm going to give you what my game plan would be for both the Georgia offense and the Georgia defense going up against this South Carolina football team. So let's start with the Georgia offense. Now, I will say this game plan might very well depend on availability at the wide receiver position. We know that A.D. Mitchell went out very early in the Samford game, did not come back in the game. Kirby said after the game he thought he could go back in, but Kirby said those kind of things before and the player didn't play the next week. So I don't know what to think. I know he did not practice on Monday. Kirby also said in his Monday press conference that even though he wasn't going to practice on Monday, that Ron Corson, our head trainer, was very optimistic about A.D.'s prognosis and he thought he could probably get him back, but I don't know right now. It's an ankle. Uh, we heard on Tuesday from Kirby's that, yeah, it's an ankle, but it's not as severe as 
as the uh, injury that Arian Smith is dealing with. But it's like, what does that even mean? Because Arian Smith is going to be out for about half the year. And the word now is he might be back around Auburn, you know, early-ish, mid-ish October. So like, what does that mean? We're talking like he's going to be back this week and one week, two weeks, three weeks. Like what is the range here? I don't know. So I'm not going to count on AD playing, which sucks because, you know, we have some, we have some players at receiver. We just don't have a ton of experienced depth at that position. So going to a hostile environment, that kind of concerns me a little bit. So is he going to be playing? And then you get news on Tuesday that Lad McConkey's been banged up. I think he's going to go from what I'm hearing, but is he 100%? I don't know. I don't know what version of Lad we're going to get. That is... I mean, at the very least, guys, I know we're better than them all over the field, but that's at least mildly concerning when your top two receivers, especially when you don't have a ton of quality or at least experience depth behind them, that those top two guys might be out. Now, we have the tight ends, obviously, where we hopefully we can compensate for that. Maybe you see more Reed Gilbert. Maybe you see more Oscar Delp. Maybe you see some of that 13 personnel we haven't really seen much of at all this year. I don't know, but that's... But the game plan is probably going to depend on availability at that position, and I just don't happen to know exactly what that's going to look like. So I just wanted to put that out there. Fortunately, though, despite any potential injuries at wide receiver, as I've kind of detailed throughout this episode, South Carolina has indeed been the worst team in the entire SEC against the run. They gave it 300 to Arkansas. They gave it 200 to Georgia State at home. In fact, that Georgia State game, guys, I don't know if you paid any attention to that, yeah, they end up winning that game 35-14. You look at it and you're like, oh, ho-hum victory, you know, whatever. They beat Georgia State, who cares? Uh, that game was a lot closer than that final score would indicate. They actually blocked two punts for touchdowns in the second half of that game. If not for those two block punt touchdowns, that is a one-score game. That's a, that's how close that game was for most of the game. It was certainly an uninspired performance by the game. Just putting that out there. But um, I, I have honestly just been shocked at how bad the South Carolina interior defensive line has been because I... I'm I, maybe they're, they're just not good. I have to say that they're just not good. That's the reality. But they have some high-profile players on that defensive line. Guys like Zach Pickens, former five-star guy, has. I mean, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting on this guy to kind of like grow into that player, and it's just not happened at this point. You have to think, okay, that's just not going to happen. This is who he is. He was just overrated. He's not a five-star guy. He hasn't played at that level. Alex Huntley was their best player last year. Uh, was hurt against Arkansas, as I mentioned. But even against Georgia State, he wasn't particularly great, which was kind of surprising to see because I thought he might have a more of a breakout season this year. So I do think we can have have success running between the tackles more than we have in the first two weeks. I think you might see us do a little bit more of that because they just haven't been good at all. And offensive lines have been moving them with relative ease. But saying that, I, I think if I'm making a game plan against the South Carolina defense and how to attack them, I think you have to attack the perimeter in both the run game and the pass game. Honestly, I know this might be boring to a lot of you because a lot of you have been, despite what we've been able to do offensively, especially against Oregon, a lot of you are calling for us to run more between the tackles and get more movement and impose our will in the run game because that's kind of what we're conditioned to see from Georgia offenses. And I get it. Like, it's great to be able to throw the football and also be able to do that. I would like to see that as well. But I, I don't know if this is the game where you go away from what we have been doing to this point in the season, really attacking the perimeter, getting the ball out there in space. Because again, I go back to what I said about their inside linebackers. They are so freaking slow. Arkansas was destroying them on the perimeter. And Arkansas does not have the skill talent, the skill speed that we have. Raheem Sanders is a good running back. He is not an especially fast running back. He is not at all. KJ Jefferson, I mean, really good mobile quarterback. I love watching KJ Jefferson play. He's not fast. He's just big and physical. They don't have burners at receiver. And even Arkansas was having a field day attacking the perimeter, both in the run game, the screen game. They were just doing whatever they wanted because the South Carolina defenders, especially those inside linebackers, just simply could not get out there. I mean, Sherrod Green not having to play full-time at inside linebacker. I mentioned Debo Williams, number zero for them at inside linebacker. I will reiterate what I said. I'll say it again. Maybe the slowest SEC linebacker I have ever seen in my life. And that is not an exaggeration, guys. Like, just put it on the tape. Watch it. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's like, does this guy actually play linebacker? Or are you sure he's not a defensive lineman? Because he does not move well at all. I just think it's a really good matchup for us based off what we've done so well to this point in the year offensively against what they have done very, very poorly to this point defensively. It's a great matchup for us. I also would go with a lot of 12 personnel and maybe even some 13 personnel, which again, we haven't seen a lot of this year. We thought we'd see more of it. Maybe we've been holding it 
to get to SEC play? I don't know because we've been able to we've been able to win with such ease without using it. But I would certainly use make a lot of use of our tight ends because I do not believe that their base personnel is athletic enough to stay with our guys. I'm talking about inside linebackers, safeties. I actually would go with what we did a couple of times against Oregon. I would start out with the 12 personnel and then motion them into. Uh, whether it's four wides or empty looks to force those linebackers, those unathletic linebackers and their unathletic safeties to play in space. Because if we force those guys to play in space, I don't want to say we'll be able to do whatever we want on offense, but maybe, kind of, you know. And one more quick point here. RJ Roderick, who has played safety for them for a couple of years now as a starter. He did not play against Arkansas because he was hurt. I think that actually helped the South Carolina defense because that dude is an absolute liability in coverage. Every time I turn on any tape to watch this guy play, he is getting burned left and right in coverage from that safety position. So if he does indeed come back from injury and he's playing in this game, I actually hope he does. I really, really hope he comes back from injury because that dude is a liability. We have got to target him in the past game. I, I fully trust Todd Munkin to scheme up matchups with him against tight ends with slot receivers, and we're going to win that probably 100% of the time. Like If we execute, we will win that matchup, I, and I'm dead serious, guys, 100% of the time. He is not going to match up with Brock Bowers. He's not going to match up with Darnell Washington. He's not going to match up with Lab McConkie if he's playing this slot. He's not even going to match up with Kiers Jackson. He's not even going to match up with Don Blake, who's coming off two ACL tiers. He's just not, because that dude is a major, major liability. He is slow as freaking molasses out there. So just an extra note, just putting that out there. And then on the other side of the ball, if I'm trying to put together a game plan for the Georgia defense against this Gamecock football team, you're probably going to hear me say this a lot. In fact, those of you who've been listening to this podcast for many years now, you have heard me say this a lot. But newer listeners, just get used to this. When you are a defensive coordinator and you are starting to develop a game plan, to attack and limit an opposing offense, you start by first identifying what your opponent does best. Then once you make that identification, you go about figuring out how do you make them play what I call left-handed. What I mean by that is how do you make them beat you doing something that they don't do well? How do you make them play with that left hand, their non-dominant hand, and beat you with that non-dominant hand? How do you make them beat you doing what they don't particularly do well? That's what you have to do. And if they can do that, if they're well-rounded enough to beat you with something else than what they're best at, then you tip your cap to me and say, well, man, you beat us. You're just better. Because the fact is you can't stop everything. You've got to stop what they do best and force them into out of their comfort zone and force them to beat you doing something else. That's what you have to do. So let's ask the question, what does South Carolina do best on offense right now? Well, I mean, if we're being entirely honest, on offense, uh, not much, not much right now through two games. But if I had to identify something to make this game plan, if anything they've been good at, I would say they have been able to hit some explosive plays in the past game. That actually kept them in the Arkansas game. They hit a, to Juice, Juice Wells, they hit a 62-yard touchdown pass in that game. But they currently right now are actually first in the SEC in passing plays of 30 or more yards. They've got six of them through two games. So that's pretty solid. They're, they have been explosive in the past game at times. Well, what have they not done well? I mean, pretty clearly, they have not run the football well. They're running for under 60 yards a game through two games. So with that information, what do you do? They can hit explosive pass plays. That's kept them in games. They can't run the football to save their lives. Okay, there's my information. I've made the identification. Now, what do I do with that? Okay, well, what I think I would do if I'm the defense coordinator is I would try to play as much too deep, middle of the field, open coverage in the back end as I possibly could to limit the possibility of those explosive plays. That's what you have to take away. That's what's kept them in games. That's what they want to try to do. Let's try to take that away from as much as we can. How do you do that? You play... I don't want to say conservative, but you play with those two safety coverages, whether it's going to be cover two. I probably wouldn't play a ton of cover two. I'd play some two under where you're playing man underneath and you get your two deep safety splitting the the field, the deep zones. I'd play a lot of quarters coverage, which is very flexible depending on what the offense is doing. That's one of my favorite coverages out there. And playing those two deep looks will also give the, the added advantage of maybe potentially bracketing if you feel the need to, putting an extra guy on top of Juice Wells since he has been so effective for them in the passing game. He's leading the SEC right now. You can put a guy over the top there and still be structurally sound and not be vulnerable in man coverage in other parts of the field and matchups against guys like maybe Jaheim Bell that you don't really feel comfortable with. So from a coverage standpoint, that is what I would do. And what you're going to have to do is is play those looks 
and force the Gamecocks to prove that they can actually run the football and force you out of those looks and into some more single high stuff, be it man free or cover three, whatever it might end up being. Force them to actually run the football. Maybe they can. I still have questions. I need to see us answer that. But force them to do that. Don't just come out assuming they're going to be able to run the football on you because they haven't been able to run the football on anyone, whether it's Arkansas, whether it's Georgia State. They haven't been able to do that. So that's how I go about structuring my coverage. I would also start to unleash our pass rushers a little bit more than we have through two games. We did some stuff. We ran some stunts. We pressured a little bit against, against Oregon, but that game got so out of hand so quickly that we really kind of pulled back on that. And it seemed like we were just like, there's no need to do it, right? And in Sanford, we didn't show a ton at all. Like we'd unleash some guys. Like we did, we, we ran some, some inside linebacker stunts and, and whatnot. We did a couple of things, but we didn't really get exotic at all. Not like what we saw last year. Maybe we won it all this year, but I think this is the team to kind of break that stuff out against on the road and kind of seize the momentum because again, their offensive line has not been especially good protecting the quarterback. And also Spencer Rattler becomes a liability as I'll get to here in my key to the game. When you are able to not even just necessarily get him on the ground, but just affect him. So I think this is a game where we try to get more creative, a little bit more exotic and get more aggressive, trying to bring some blitz packages to take them out of what they want to do offensively. And speaking of the pass rush and Spencer Rattler, that is a perfect segue to the final part of this breakdown, our one key to the game. Now, look, football is can, it can be simple, it can be complex, but a game is rarely as simple as, as one thing. Like, hey, one key, if you do this, you win the game. It's rarely that simple, but saying that, I am going to try to crystallize these breakdowns down to one thing, that if we do that one thing, we should win the football game. We're going to call that our key to the game. And I kind of just spoiled it a second ago, but my one key to this game is can we pressure Spencer Rattler? And that does not necessarily mean that we always have to get him to the ground, although that would be great. That would be ideal. Negative yards plays are awesome. But even if we can't get him on the ground, we need to affect him because even if we can affect him without getting him on the ground, he will help us out. He will give us the football. And I do think, as I said, we need to bring some more design pressures here because that's where Rattler gets in trouble. That dude cannot handle pressure. He panics. His mechanics fall apart. He starts to make very poor decisions. He'll put the ball in harm's way. He will hurt his team and he will help your team. That's what happens when you're able to consistently pressure him. Arkansas was able to do that on Saturday and he was kind of seeing ghosts after a while there and he made some mistakes. And it's not even necessarily throwing the ball in harm's way or turn the ball overall. He, he will do that. It, it can be as simple as him just hesitating and not seeing the field, not seeing open guys, and just putting his team offensively into bad situations. And I think we need to force the issue and put him in those situations himself. And I think if we can do that and we are able to have some success, run the football on offense and tacking the perimeter and get out to an early lead, then I think we absolutely could end up running away with this football game. All right, guys, that's it for you with this breakdown of the Georgia-South Carolina game, the SEC opener for our Bulldogs. I will have a prediction for you guys. We'll do that on our Picks of the Week episode. Both Charlie and I will have a prediction for you. We'll talk about the spread, which is currently sitting at 24 and a half, what we think, what our thoughts are, how we see this thing playing out. So make sure to tune back in on Thursday night. We'll have that episode up for you around 8 o'clock on Thursday night. So check that one out, guys. But thank you for being here. I sincerely appreciate you guys. I'm Tyler. I'll be back later this week with Charlie for our Picks of the Week. And again, don't forget, sign up for my bookie now so you can bet along with us. That's mybookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA to double that initial deposit. But have a great rest of your week, guys. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>